God's word never comes to tell you what you already know. God sends his word to tell you what you do not know. Therefore, God's word will often contradict the circumstances that you're going through in your life when you receive it. Look at the circumstances in the scripture God sends his word into. Everything is dark and totally chaotic. And the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. The word was a contradiction to the circumstance. God finds a childless man named Abraham who happens to have faith. God begins to walk with him and calls a man that don't have one child the father of many nations. It was a word given that contradicted the circumstances that the man was living in. God showed up to a coward named Gideon hiding in a cave and said, hey! you mighty man of valor. The word was a contradiction. Jesus looks at a lame man who's been lame for 38 years and says, rise, take up your bed and walk. The word was a contradiction. In fact, if you want to know, if you want to get confirmation, if the word you received is really from God, it will usually contradict everything you're seeing and everything you're going through because God does not send his word to tell you what you all already know. God knows you're in trouble. God knows you're going through difficulty. God knows the family's going through hell. God knows the finances are struggling. God knows the people are sick. God knows and send his words to tell you what you don't know yet. Like that there's going to be a divine reversal of the circumstances you're seeing. Spirit of God told me to come in here to prophesy to 70 people that there's going to be a divine reversal of the circumstances you're seeing right now. If you're living with bad circumstances, you mark it down and write it down. You're going to receive a divine reversal of those circumstances. Look at somebody and smile real big like you won the lottery and say, a divine reversal is coming. Oh, you didn't say it like you won the lottery. Say a divine reversal is coming. I'm preaching already in case you hadn't caught wind of it yet. In a time of great national darkness and despair for Israel, the country was going through a crisis, an economic crisis, a health crisis, and a political crisis, just like we are going through today. Great darkness had spread over the land. And the Bible says that God sends the prophet with a word to contradict the circumstances. And he starts the word with nevertheless. In other words, in spite of. This is in response to the circumstances we read about in the last part of chapter 8. It says that they were hungry and they were wandering and they were angry and they were cursing uh, their, their, their place in life and even cursing God, saying, why have you forsaken us? And looking up to heaven, wondering where their help was coming from. And they were in darkness and the scripture ends it by saying, and they were in gloom. And then he says, nevertheless. To those circumstances, he says, nevertheless, for every item on your list of negative circumstances, God still has a nevertheless. He says, nevertheless, no more gloom. Isaiah was sent to prophesy the reversal of circumstances. 
I'm here today to prophesy the reversal of circumstances. I want you to get your worst circumstance in your mind right now and then hear the word of the Lord. There will be a divine reversal of that circumstance. I don't know what your that is, but hear the word of the Lord that comes to contradict your circumstances. There will be a divine reversal. I don't know who I'm talking to. You may be in the building or you may be watching me on your phone online. There will be a divine reversal of your circumstances. That sickness is about to be reversed. That Debt is about to be reversed. That court case is about to be reversed. That trouble in your marriage is about to be reversed. And it's not going to be done by a strategy. It's not going to be done by a series of steps. This is something God's going to do just because he's going to do it. There will be a divine reversal of circumstances. I need you to push somebody till they believe it. Say things are going to turn around. Oh, I wish I had 20 people to warm up with me. Push somebody till you move them and say things are going to turn around. Ah, turn, 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 turn. Things are getting ready to turn. I'm going to keep saying it till you believe it. Turn, 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 turn. Things are getting ready to turn. I don't know what you came in here for, but you're going to get a prophetic word anyway. Turn, 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 turn. Things are getting ready to turn. Shout at the top of your lungs. Turn it around. Said there will be a divine reversal of your circumstances no more gloom everybody in the United States it seems like is walking around in gloom every restaurant you go into it used to have energy when you would go to a place to eat but now you walk in and they've lost their energy used to be some kind of energy in a mall when you went to go shopping just the energy of people walking around with money burning a hole in their pocket but now there ain't no energy there ain't no energy no life no spunk anywhere but you came to church this morning to hear a word from God and I want to tell people that are living in a society full of fear and full of gloom and full of depression and full of a negative outlook on what the next several months are going to be. God said no more gloom. And one of the things God does to mark his remnant people in the earth is he makes sure that what you go through doesn't get in you. He took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fire. But they came out not even smelling like smoke. There's a biblical principle that threads all the way through the Bible. That during the darkest times, God's people still have light. During depressed times, God's people still have joy. During sick times, God's people still have help. It's, it's the theological principle of the remnant and there will always be a remnant 
I don't care what gets torn down or what gets destroyed. God will make sure that he always leaves a remnant. So if our society falls apart, if the political walls cave in, if this virus keeps going on and on and on and on, I don't know who, I don't know who else it's going to destroy, but I know who it's not going to destroy. It's not going to destroy me. Because there's always a remnant. And it's to the remnant that he says, nevertheless, no more gloom. I speak to the spirit of gloom. I speak to the spirit of sadness and depression. I speak to that thing that's been causing you to walk around with your head down. I speak to that thing that's causing your energy to be sapped. Sleep all night, wake up in the morning dead tired. Don't know what's wrong with you. I speak to that spirit of infirmity that has attacked your mind, that keeps you rehearsing negative thoughts and negative outcomes. God said, his word said, no more clue. He said, now I know you're in a dark place. Because he said, at first I, I only lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. And afterward, I allowed her to become more heavily oppressed. I'm not saying I didn't send you through nothing hard. I'm not saying you hadn't been attacked. And I'm not saying you haven't been oppressed. I'm not saying that the warfare was lying. I'm not asking you to stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and act like you ain't been through nothing. You've been through some hard stuff. He said, this dark place has has been known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Everybody say Galilee. Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles. Now what he's talking about here, about allowing them to be oppressed and allowing them to be lightly esteemed, he's talking about the exile. When the Israelites were invaded by Babylon and they were taken as slaves, the king of Babylon wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. He wanted to end them as a race of people by deporting them out of their country into another. Knowing that when all of the Jews left their country, the rest of the neighboring countries around their borders would start spilling into their homeland. They would set up shop. They would build houses and build businesses and they would start occupying that land. So Babylon wanted to wipe them out by taking them away from their homeland and repopulating their homeland with people who were not Jews. So what happened? Babylon did this and after 70 years when Babylon as an empire fell, the Jews that were in Babylon were allowed to come back to their homeland and they did. And they begin to repopulate it. They begin to go in and drive out the squatters. They begin to go in and, and drive out the people that had taken their land. And they repopulated every area of Israel except Galilee. It's like they just got tired of pushing people out of their land. They, they took back the, the areas that were precious to them and the areas that were special to them. But Galilee wasn't valued as a place. And they said, well, there's still all those Gentiles in, uh, in Galilee, but, but we're just going to leave them alone. 
In fact, that's why they named it Galilee. The word Galilee means the circle of Gentiles. So you've got the whole nation repopulated with the Jews and this tiny little area called Galilee that's the circle of the Gentiles. It was a, seen as a ghetto. It was seen as a blight on their nation. Galilee was rejected and despised. And as a result, economically, Galilee was a dark place. In the esteem of the nation, Galilee was a dark place. Nobody wanted to be from Galilee. Nobody wanted to go to Galilee. Galilee was seen as the wrong side of the tracks. And yet Isaiah is prophesying in chapter 9 that something was going to happen to Galilee. It was a word that so contradicted the natural order of the way things were going that everybody that read it thought this man had lost his mind. But God never sends his word to tell you what you know. He sends his word to tell you what you don't know. And God's word will often contradict the circumstances that you are going through. So Isaiah says, Galilee, you're about to receive a reversal of your circumstances. God is going to give you a divine turnaround. And we don't see it. This prophecy stays on the pages of scripture unfulfilled for almost a thousand years. But then Jesus is born. And when it came time for him to pick his disciples, he didn't go to Jerusalem and he didn't go to Judea and he didn't go to Samaria. You know where he went? Galilee. All of Jesus' disciples were chosen in Galilee. When it came time for him to perform his first miracle, Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem. The Bible says he was at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, and he turned water into wine. In fact, do a word study on the miracles of Jesus. You'll find he performed more miracles in the city of Galilee than any other place. Why? Because God had scheduled a divine reversal of their circumstances. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't know what it's going to take me to get this word into these people's spirits. I don't know if I'm going to have to teach it or talk it or preach it or scream it or run around the church with my hair on fire. But some kind of way, I need you to help me, God, get this word to who needs it. So I don't know where you're sitting, but God gave me this to come in here and tell you. I don't care how bad or dark or gloomy the circumstances in your life are this morning. God said to tell you there is about to be a divine reversal of your circumstances. Everybody in your family may be looking down on you. Everybody at your job may not highly esteem you. Nobody in your life may think you're worth anything. But God said there's going to be a divine reversal of those circumstances. Clap your hands and give God a praise if you receive the word that's coming at you this morning. There will be a reversal. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is a picture of God's grace. Those in darkness didn't do anything to deserve the light to shine on them. 
the light just shined on them because of grace. I've been talking about a divine reversal and somebody's been thinking in their mind, you've literally said this in your mind, I don't deserve a divine reversal. You're not going to get it because you deserve it. You're going to get it because he is a God of grace. By grace, blessing is coming. By grace, healing for your body is coming. By grace, promotion is coming. By grace, God's going to work that problem out with the debt. By grace, God's going to work that problem out with your children. By grace, the divine reversal is coming. It's the grace of God. You don't do anything to make the sun come up in the morning. You don't do anything to make the grace of God shine on your life. It's just when it shines, you soak it up. When it shines, you say thank you. When it shines, you bask in it. When it shines, you enjoy it. When it shines, you revel in it. By grace, it's coming. And then he says that those that have been through this darkness received multiplication. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. I speak to Christian world members. I speak to guests who happen to be in the building. I speak to people watching online. I speak to this area of San Antonio, Texas. The Lord your God multiply you and bless you a thousand times more. I speak to every business owner. I speak to every person who makes a living working with their hands. May the Lord your God bless you a thousand times more and multiply you and increase you. All through the scripture, we see God raising people up and multiplying them. If he could do it for any of them in the Bible, bless God, he can do it for you and I. I speak the blessing of multiplication. I speak the blessing of dominion. I speak the blessing of kingdom authority. I speak the blessing of dominance in this season. While everybody is falling apart, you will begin to rise to the top. While everybody's shutting their doors, you will begin to grow exponentially while everybody is quitting you're gonna start running in a season like you've never run in in the name of Jesus said you have multiplied the nation and increased their joy raise up your right hand and say increase my joy now the reason for this listen to me the reason for this you gotta ask the question if he's just doing this, why? Some people don't like hearing about the blessing of the Lord because they're so rational in their mind, they want to know why, how, what's causing this. In fact, some people, you can give them a prophetic word so strong like this, and they sit for the first 20 minutes trying to wrestle and figure out whether or not you're talking to them. And the real reason underneath it is they want to know the mechanics or the reasoning behind it. I could take a cop out and say that you can't understand the divine things of God, but I won't. The scripture says that when Jesus came into his own in Jerusalem, Jesus was from the bloodline and lineage of David. Meaning he had the right and authority to walk into Jerusalem as the capital of the nation and declare who he was. But he came unto his own, but the Bible said his own received him not they didn't feel like they were sick in Jerusalem so they didn't 
think they needed a healer. They didn't feel hungry, so they didn't need a provider. They didn't feel lost, so they didn't have any use for a shepherd. They were so strong in themselves, they looked at the prophets and they looked at the worship of God and they looked at the things of God and, and silly things like the foolishness of preaching and prophecy and they said, ah, I ain't got time for that. Sometimes you can be so strong it's to your detriment. But the weak, broken, limping, hurting people in Galilee who were used to being stepped on and used to being despised and used to being mistreated, when Jesus came in there preaching, they craved his presence. They craved his love. They craved his attention. In fact, it was their hunger that pulled the best out of him. You want to get the best out of God? Come hungry. Come broken. Come hurting. Come sick. Come needing a miracle. Come with your life in shambles. Come with your home in trouble. That's when you get the best. And he says he's going to break the yoke of their bondage. He's going to break the bars of their depression and their gloom. And then in verse 5, he said, Every one of your warrior sandals from the battle uh, and the garments rolled in blood are going to be used for burning. What, the garments rolled in blood, that's, that's where armies back in Bible times, before they would step on the battlefield, they would go and dip all of their war garments in the blood of animals so that they were a bloody mess when they put their war garb on. Because they wanted the enemy to think, we've been through a lot of blood and you're going to be next. We killed a lot of people. We got a lot of soldiers' blood on this uniform and you're going to be next. And so he said, every one of those garments that you keep to roll in blood and, and, and all of your battle accruements, all of your instruments of warfare, he said, you're going to end up using it for firewood. In other words, you've come to a place by grace that you don't have to fight anymore. I speak to Christian world. This battle is not yours. I speak to seven people. They got court cases coming up within the next 30 days. This battle is not yours. I speak to people that are fighting over custody and fighting over money that's been owed to you. This battle is not yours. From this point, God begins to fight for you. Push three people and say, he's fighting for you. He's fighting for you. He's fighting for you. Get that nervousness out of your eyes. Get that fear out of your face. Look at somebody dead in their eye and say, God is. God is. God is fighting for you. Now give him praise all over the house. If you receive it, give him a crazy praise. Give him a praise like you're being defended. Give him a praise like you know he's able. God is my defense. Oh, if you remember it, you can finish it. God is my defense and I shall have Why 
aren't we going to have to fight anymore? Verse 6, for unto us... Catch, catch this. For unto us. Ah, yeah. I ain't got no theological problem with understanding that I am his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell there. I, I ain't got no problem with that. We are the sheep of his pasture. He has made us and not we ourselves. I, I get all that. But then to flip it around and understand, not only am I his, but he chose to make Jesus mine unto unto us a child is born unto us a son you mean you gave him to me if you're not using what Jesus did for you like you should you're wasting a gift unto us a child is born unto us a son is given what's the significance that he was born why did he have to be born he always was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. It was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light shined in the darkness. Darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did He have to be born? Well, He had to be born because sin entered through one disobedient act. Sin entered the world through one disobedient act. But it didn't spread by disobedience. It spread by birth. When Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and they had children, the sin spread by birth. So we are all born in sin. Divine reversal is coming. even in ways you haven't asked for it to. There's some that's coming just because he loves you that's going to shock you. We were born in sin because it is spread by birth, by birth. So God chose to send the antidote through the same delivery method the poison was sent through. The poison is spread by birth. So the antidote comes by birth. By Jesus being born, he was able to take our sins in his flesh. 
by Jesus being born, he was able to be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, knowing what we are like. By Jesus being born, he has created a way for us to be born again in him. See, that's the power of the born-again experience. That's the power of the born-again experience. How does sin come into our lives? We're born into it. How does righteousness come into our lives? We are born into it by being born again in Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's the gospel of grace in one word, given. The gospel of grace is that salvation, by having faith in Jesus Christ, salvation is a free gift. It is not something you earn with your performance. It is not something you earn with your morals. It is not a long checklist that you check off and then present to God and say, these are all of the reasons why I'm righteous. No, salvation and righteousness before God comes by having faith in what Jesus has done, not in what you do. Now, we've said a lot of things today that were praiseworthy, but that's the most praiseworthy one, that we are not saved by our own work lest anyone should boast we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave 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 himself a ransom for us while we were yet sinners Christ died for the ungodly that's why we are saved for unto us a son is given and then he says and his name will be called. Now, this is where I want to drop my anchor for just a couple of more minutes, and I'll let you go. His name will be called. For most of my life growing up in church, I misunderstood this and misread this. And the punctuation that Mr. King James used when he wrote his, uh, his, his when he translated the Bible, it kind of threw me off too, because all of the, the names are capitalized, right? But they're not really names, they're descriptions, he, he doesn't say, and he will be named wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. doesn't say that. He doesn't say that that will be his moniker or a nickname. No, it says his name, which is its own thing. People will call his name and find out something about him. And they'll look back at his name and say, wonderful. You understand that? They'll call his name and then look back at his name and his name will be called Counselor. They'll find out something about his name and then look back and say, the mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But, but all of that is not about him. No. It's about his name. That's what the text says. And his name will be called. Let's look at them together. Number one, his name will be called wonderful. L let me just say this before I get into number one. God designed the name of Jesus not to simply identify him, but to give us something to call on. In faith that activates spiritual power. 
when you call on the name of Jesus in faith, it activates and opens up spiritual power. There's only four times in the Bible where all the scriptures say the same thing. Acts 4, Romans 10, Acts 2, Joel 2. They all say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God designed his name to be called on. Jesus! God designed his name to be called on. He designed his name to be called on for salvation. In Romans 10, Paul said, that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that confession, whoever calls and confesses on the name of the Lord in faith, Paul said, you shall be saved. His name was meant to be called on in baptism. Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit fell, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches the inaugural message of the New Testament church. He starts with, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They said, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, call on it for salvation. Call on it for baptism. You're supposed to call on the name if you need help. David said, the name of the Lord is a a strong tower the righteous can run into whenever you're being chased you ought to call on the name of Jesus when trouble is chasing you call on the name of Jesus when sickness is chasing you call on the name of Jesus I know it's old school and none of y'all know anything about it but the old timers used to tell us if you call on Jesus he will answer prayer. But our problem is we've not been calling like we should. It's a name that is meant to be called. There is supernatural power lodged within the calling of the name of Jesus in faith. Somebody say Jesus. It's what blind Bartimaeus found out. He heard Jesus was walking by a great distance away and he said, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And when he called the name, a divine reversal of circumstances took place. The name is meant to be called. What will people who call it in faith? That's what the text is saying. What will people who call that name in faith find out about it? Number one, wonderful. I'm not the only one in this room that knows what it's like to go through something real in your life be pushed all the way to the edge and not know how you're going to make it and then call out to Jesus and find him help right in the nick of time and when it's over and the storm has blown over and you, you get away from it, you look back and you think about it and you just say, wonderful. It was wonderful. When you testify, you say, it was, it was wonderful. The, the, Hebrew, is, the Hebrew word is, is pele. It doesn't mean wonderful like we say wonderful. It means a miracle, a wondrous or marvelous thing. See, we don't talk about miracles all the time because people like to box them in and give you, give you exact science of how to get one and, and miracles are divine things. But, but we have a God. Oh, man. 
Oh, God. <laughs> I've got so much experience with it. We have a God who still works miracles. They'll use that name and they'll, they'll call him counselor. That word means advisor, advocate. You ever been in so much trouble you didn't know who to call? Just leave me up here by myself. It's all right. No, no, I want to ask you, have you ever scrolled through your phone trying to find who could help me with this? Nope. 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 And you get to the end, there ain't nobody there. It's so frustrating when you have the instinct and you really want to reach out to somebody and tell them, and then you start thinking about what they'll think when you tell them. Or you ever like me, you ever get ready to make one of those calls and you hit the phone and it's ringing and when they answer, you decide to take the conversation somewhere else? The truth is, the more problematic life becomes, the harder it is for us to find counsel. Really. You know, the counsel that's not going to judge you. Counsel that's not going to use it against you later. read an article, some periodical, and they were talking about how we're living in the least honest generation of all time. The least honest. That nobody is real with anybody. Because all at the same time, we crave to feign transparency through social media and everything else. All, all our media sources are 24-7. We, so we feign transparency, and yet we're living in one of the most judgmental cultures ever that will pull you down in half a second. They'll take 30 years building you up and then whoop, pull you right down. You know, you do one thing, you know, pull you down. And so what it creates in the consciousness of the nation is a complex of who can I go to? Wonderful counselor if you don't have a relationship with Jesus in this season in this day and age in this time you are in trouble my friend if you have not taken advantage of all that grace has afforded and freely given to you you are leaving the greatest life-preserving force you're just leaving it on the table he said I found out that his name that something about speaking the name of Jesus in faith brings counseling to me and also advocacy. Now, the, the scripture tells us we ought to pray. Paul said men ought to always pray. The scripture says pray without ceasing. But if you didn't pray when you woke up this morning, the Bible says our advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous, prays for you ever. He, he, the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession on your behalf. Meaning, if you didn't pray to God all last week, Jesus prayed for you. If you didn't bow your head and bless your food, Jesus prayed for you. If you didn't say, God, forgive me of my sins, Jesus went into the Father and said, forgive them of their sins, Lord. Bless them and raise them up. Strengthen them. Make them strong in you. 
our advocate, one who goes and, and talks to the judge on your behalf. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God. Literally translated, the mighty almighty. We understand, those of us that believe in the scripture, we understand that he's the almighty, that he created everything. But a lot of people view him as mighty in the past and docile now. Not, not the case. That he was active in the past, but, but he's resting, not, not the case. He is the mighty almighty, and there is nothing you are going through this morning that he does not have the power to deal with. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. I wondered, why would they connect the name? Because the name of Jesus hadn't even been given yet in Isaiah. He was prophesying all this. It's so amazing to me about the book that he's prophesying through the telescope of time. He's seeing that there's a name coming that will reveal all of this. And he said, the everlasting Father. And then I read it in the New Testament when Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father that no man comes to the Father but by me. Whenever you pray, don't use your name, but whatsoever you ask the Father in my name. And all of a sudden, I realized that when you use the name of Jesus in faith, you instantly connect to the everlasting Father. Folks, wrap your mind around that principle. It's a whopper. When you use the name of Jesus in real faith, in real praise, in real worship, you have just connected to the everlasting Father. It's a name that's supposed to be called. Called. No, it says everlasting Father. I... I'm a father, I have two children, and I am their protector. I'm their provider. I uh, am their interpreter. You know, because neither one of them talks straight all the time. And, uh, and, and sometimes, have you ever seen, sorry, have you ever seen the movie Minions? Both my little boys talk exactly like the minions. You just can't hear anything. You know, it's not English. It's minion. And, but I've got to the place where I can interpret. Now, if you were to hear the conversation, <laughs> but, but, because, but because I get it, I, I can I can interpret for them what they what they mean, you know, and and I ache for them because one day they're gonna have to go through life without me because I ain't gonna live forever. But God is an everlasting, an everlasting protector. A protector that never gets tired. A protector that never sleeps or slumbers. A protector that never takes a vacation. God is a protector. God is a provider. Oh, you ought to praise him right there. God is a provider. Some of you know what I'm talking about. God is a provider. 
but not just a provider, an everlasting provider. Meaning he never runs out of resources or ways to provide for you. He's an everlasting interpreter. See, people look at what you say and what you do. And that's all they look at. But God looks at why you did it. In H-E-B, the other day, a lady bent down and just picked up a whole row of groceries and pushed them over and knocked a whole bunch of stuff down. And they were carrying her out. And she was crying and screaming at the top of her lungs. And all those people in the store and the policeman who was arresting her, all they were looking at is what she did. But nobody thought about why she did it. It's human nature to look at the outward appearance and the outward actions. And people look at you and they say you're such a mess and they look at your actions and they look at your deeds and they say you're no good and your character's flawed and you're bad. And sometimes you even look at yourself and what you do and you think yourself that my character's flawed, my character's bad. But, but what, what God does that people don't do and that you don't do, he looks beyond what you do. And he inspects why you did it. Why you did it. He knows that that anger problem is from all the abuse you endured. Growing up in that house. And that when you get driven to a certain place, you go back to seven years old in your mind. And you feel that same way. And you pop off. God knows. He's an everlasting interpreter. He knows what you meant when you said that. Some people's curse is they cannot get it out of their mouth the way they feel it in their heart. In fact, some people, I hear this all the time. They would rather write down their emotions and where, what they're going through and where they're at. And they would rather explain themselves with a pen than they would with their mouth. Because no matter how hard they try, they can never get it out of here the way it's in here. But God is an everlasting interpreter. He knows what you meant. Sometimes you can say a three-hour prayer. Just by lifting up your hands, oh, oh, God, help me. Sometimes that's all it takes, just help me. And all your week is comprised and compacted into that, help me. Or sometimes just a single tear contains a 5,000 word prayer, just please help me. He's an everlasting interpreter. And he's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. You said Jesus was the prince of peace, but 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 he is, but 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 Isaiah was writing that about his name that was to be called, right? That there's something that happens when you call his name in faith. 
See, what I want you to see, I want you to see Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the eternal, ever-living Son, and the Word made flesh. I want you to see him. And then what I want you to see is a separate thing that God attached to him. So it's one thing with two gifts, one thing, two attachments. You know? It's Jesus. And then because of what he is and what he has done, there's also this power associated, this force associated with his name specifically. That's why you should never take the name of the Lord in vain. If it becomes common for you, it ceases to be powerful to you. The name of Jesus itself is to be called. And he said, people that call it will find out. Prince of peace. That, that you can be going through hell in your mental health and call on the name of Jesus and find a peace that a pill won't give you. Now, listen, I'm not against medicine. I'm not saying don't take your meds. Please do what you got to do. I'm saying there's only a certain level that can get you to and you know it. I'm saying the name of Jesus will bring a peace that that other stuff cannot bring you. He's the prince of peace. And then he says, he ends, he ends the, the verses that we're preaching today. He ends it by saying, and of the increase of his kingdom. Hear me, folks. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. That means no matter what happens in November, you're going to increase. No, ma no matter what happens in the Congress or the Senate, <clears throat> you're going to increase. No matter what happens with the virus or the economy, you are going to. Why? Because I'm in the kingdom. I'm in a kingdom that Jesus told Peter upon this rock, the rock of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. That's the rock. Upon the rock of that revelation, Jesus' name is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell itself, hell's greatest force and power, will never be able to prevail against the church. It's a constant. Okay, stand up. i got to give this to you. Please stand up. Put your hands like this, okay? Just constant pulsing increasing kingdom that never ends it started in acts chapter 2 on the day of pentecost okay and since then constant pulsing ever increasing living that's why the bible called us the body of christ we are a constant ageless immortal institution that Jesus bought and paid for with his blood and ratified the new covenant and has written us into the family will and the family crest we are a part of a constantly ever increasing kingdom the kingdom of God no matter what happens in this earth we live in a different kingdom 
we have access to a different kingdom. Now, you can have all this access and decide to live in the slums if you want. You can live in the systems of this world and build your life based off the systems of this world and make your decisions based off the systems of this world and, and, and come to church on Sunday, but just do everything that matters based off of the systems of this world if you want to. Or you can understand what you have access to because of the grace of Jesus. You can live in the kingdom with the Bible as your preamble and your constitution. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And you will step into a kingdom that never stops increasing. What's it going to be like next year? Brighter? Because the Bible says the path of the righteous waxes brighter and brighter. What's it going to be like in 10 years? Better? Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. So the closer I get to the end than I am to the beginning, it's going to get better and better and better. It's, it's what the Bible says the believers should look at the timeline of their life and see. And that's what I want to tell you. A divine reversal. If you remember one word as you're leaving today, remember that word. A divine reversal of your circumstances is coming. God's going to do it just because he loves you by grace. A divine reversal. Then, then, number two, remember the gospel. That unto us, for us, Jesus was born. Unto us, God gave, gave his only son. A son is given. And that by grace through faith we have access to this kingdom remember the power of his name the force of his name in and of itself and then lastly remember you're living you remember you are a member of a kingdom of constant increase lift up your hands I speak the blessing of the Lord God over your life I speak the healing and the strength of God I speak that your God would go before you and mark your way and make every crooked place straight in Jesus' name. I speak the peace of God over every storm in your life. I speak that God would be your rear guard and keep you covered from things that you don't even see coming in Jesus' name. Before we dismiss, before we dismiss, we're going to sing something. I feel like I need to pray for a few people. So if you're here and you want prayer, come. If you're here and you want prayer for anything, doesn't matter what it's for, come. Let me get this off me. Amen. Amen. Come stand right here, please. Come stand right here, please. Father, in the name of Jesus.
I love to sing. It's worth. It sounds like music to my ear. The sweetest thing I know. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved now, this is for the Jesus lovers. Lift your hands and sing it again. Everybody say. Give him praise in his house this morning. 
says he is. I believe he lived, died, and rose again by the power of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I believe his blood was shed to cover me. So today, Father, I repent of my sins and I receive the cleansing that your blood provided I ask you to fill me with your spirit and I ask you to lead my steps and order my life according to your will in Jesus name give God a big praise all over the house 